0: In a minute, we'll be in Luke 4, so if you want to make your way there. Uh, I've, I've been reading a book that I finished this week, and uh, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a classic old book set from back in the, uh, oh, about the nineteen. 19- 60s or 70s or so and um, it was interesting there's uh, the children in this classroom can barely read most of them can't read uh, in this little school that is being studied in uh, in South Carolina but they all can quote nearly all of the Wizard of Oz now I, I remember my story was I would go to school on Monday and everybody would be talking about the Wizard of Oz, and I had no idea what they were talking about because I was in church on Sunday night. You remember, they always showed it on Sunday night. We were, we were in church anytime the doors were open, and sometimes sometimes when the doors weren't open. But um, that's kind of how I grew up. What's your favorite line? This little classroom, they all knew the favorite line from, uh, from the Wizard of Oz. What's your favorite line? Oh, th- there you go. Hey, you can probably sing uh, sing like a, like a munchkin hey, back over there. The lollipop the oh, yeah. lollipop. I kind of liked that little song. Yeah, kind of like that song. What, do you remember when Dorothy clicked her heels together and said, there's no place like home? Now, we're going to kind of talk about a story today that kind of uh, has to do with that. Um, it's interesting, college is a great way to bring uh, to kind of for a student to start in an independent life. I'm kind of dealing with that. I'm dealing with um, a student this week who's kind of wanting to go back home. And um, uh, But at, although it's nice to return home, about sophomore year, maybe before then, a student starts saying, well, it's home, but it's not home. That's a little scary for parents, you know, but it kind of happens, doesn't it? Um, um, uh, there's a figurative sense. When, when, I was living, when I was living in eastern Kentucky, I remember coming back here where I grew up and f- going back to the church where I was serving in Kentucky and feeling imperceptibly, this feels more like home then home feels like home. Anybody relate to that? Um, And maybe you're transplanted into Oklahoma, um, or maybe you were gone for 10 plus years like I was and got to come back. So uh, the issue is here. I wonder what it was like for Jesus to return home. Now, um, when we're going to talk about home today, we're not going to talk about Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, but he didn't really grow up in Bethlehem. Okay, we kind of studied that story a little bit over Christmas, right? Um, They were, um, uh, Joseph was warned by the angel that Herod was out to kill all the little baby boys. And uh, he got up in the middle of the night and, and they took off for Egypt and they were there for a while. And when they came back, he had, you remember that dream? We were doing all these dream study. He had another dream, Joseph did, that said, don't go back to Bethlehem, go to Nazareth, which is where he and Mary were from. And so they did, in the north instead of in the south. So that's where Jesus grew up, in a carpenter's shop in Nazareth. That's why he's called, okay, I'm going to make somebody really mad right here. I look at my wife He's not Jesus the Nazarene. He's Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so uh, he's uh, John. It wasn't because he uh, knew Phineas Brzee, okay? It was because he was from Nazareth, all right? I I know I just made all you Nazarenes mad at me, right? Just then, okay? So, uh, but you get my point, Um, uh, Paul. John wasn't a Baptist because he went to First Baptist Church, okay? So we kind of get all that. Now, Now, um, so let's read the scripture. He goes back, I'm gonna give you a little bit of detail. Um, Man, I read just a ream of stuff this week on this um, that I'll regurgitate a little bit of, but at the risk of being boring. But Steve Blair, can I get you to read? Go to Luke 4 and we're gonna go to uh, verse 14 and he's gonna be led uh, to go back to his home church. Can we say that? It was a synagogue. We'll talk about what a synagogue was. But uh, go to 14, read down through 17, Steve, if you don't mind. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written. Okay, so he goes back to his home synagogue. Now the the, um, uh, the tradition or the institution, that's probably a better word, of the synagogue you don't read about in the Old Testament. There weren't synagogues in the Old Testament. The synagogue inst- as an institution um, um, began after... The destruction of Jerusalem in 586, somewhere after that, maybe as much as two or 300 years after that, but during the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the synagogue grew up as, um, uh, kind of was raised up, as Jewish people began to be dispersed all over the known world, um, they needed a place to worship and meet together, and so the local Kind of the community meeting place uh, be, uh, be kind of sprung up the synagogue and and um, synagogue worship was very different from temple worship because temple worship was big and elaborate and involved sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. Synagogue worship was more meditative, contemplative, uh, it involved reading of several different passages of scripture which we'll look at evidence of today and then the, typically there would be a teaching or a homily on some of that. They would recite the Psalms, maybe sing a little bit together. Uh, they would pray together. In fact, there's some evidence that they prayed non-prescribed prayers in the synagogue between the, uh, by the time Jesus got here. Isn't that interesting that, that the, the prayer that we prayed together, um, kind of that idea of public prayer that's not a prescribed prayer was practiced in Jesus' home synagogue. Uh, So it was part of his life. So so he goes to his home synagogue, and he's led there. Notice here, as we begin that passage that Steve read a bit ago, Jesus returned to Galilee. So he goes back north. He's been south. He was baptized there. He was led in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay? Uh, We'll look about. In fact, uh, Rhonda, can I get you to read 322? Estella, welcome home. Can I get you to read one? Sure. In just, okay. Uh, listen to this. You're going to find common language here. So 3.22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son, With you I am well pleased. So we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit there. Okay. Uh, in, in a physical form. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a body, in a physical form, um, that kind of the idea was you all need to know, and this was Jesus being baptized, you all need to know that the Spirit is on him. Okay, just kind of stick with that thought. And then Estella, read 4-1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Full of the Holy Spirit. Paul, we heard you talk a couple weeks ago about your, this new experience you had as a young preacher. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. You catch that? So uh, kind of what I want you to put in your blank here. Jesus was always led by the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, he, he had been, um, th- his baptism was evidence that he uh, had the Holy Spirit, uh, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit even led him, at, back to what Stella read, it was the Spirit that led him in the wilderness to be tempted, which I think is a really interesting thought. That, um, that it wasn't the devil that said, come over here for 40 days. The Spirit led him there. It was a testing time. It was a preparation time before his ministry began. Now, I want you to look in, in Luke 4. I want you to look at verse 13. Just scan verse 13 and verse 14. Those two, two verses don't happen like and the next day. That's not how that happened. In fact, if you go, um, if you, you go uh, in your Bible and uh, maybe sometime you want, want to look at it. If you go to John 1.19 between Luke 4 uh, what did I say 13 and Luke 4:14 4, John 119 to John uh, 442 takes place it's quite a parenthesis that we don't get in the Gospel of Luke a lot of stuff is going on in, in Jesus life he's he's not you know, like baptized one day, uh, led in, into the spirit to be tempted, by the spirit to be tempted in the wilderness the next day, and come back from that, then immediately goes to the synagogue uh, in Nazareth. That's not, there's a lot that happens in between time, and it's going to be implicated in the reaction that he got as he taught in Nazareth. So Jesus has been teaching in all kinds of synagogues, all through the south, and he'll be teaching as he's heading north, and he's gaining quite a following. So um, so I, I put the question in here. What was Jesus' early reputation? Steve, read verse 37 from chapter 4, would you? And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Okay. His reputation had been building for months. Not only as a miracle worker, so if you go to John and read that section I was telling you about, you're gonna read about the, um, the uh, miraculous turning of the water into wine in Cana. You're gonna read about, uh, you're gonna read Two synagogue-related um, healings: one from the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus. Remember, he he brought um, uh, Jesus, brought his daughter back to life, and then um, uh, another centurion who had given the money to build the Capernaum synagogue um, uh, had a healing of his servant. So the, he's a buzz in a lot of synagogues. Not this one, though. Not at home. Interesting. Although they would know a little bit about what's going on. But he goes back to Nazareth. I'm going to submit to you, and please prove me wrong if I'm wrong on this, but I think I'm right. This was one and done. He went to the synagogue in Nazareth on a Saturday once. Never went back. In fact, if you read this story and then follow the story after it, he goes back to Capernaum where all his buddies were. Um, the disciples likely weren't with him here in Nazareth. They were probably in their home synagogue in Capernaum or somewhere else. And he goes back to be with them. And, um, and miracles take place. But here, it's a different story. So, um, so his reputation precedes him. Uh, as a miracle worker and as a teacher, his fame has been building and he goes back home. Now he's not really trying to test out his fame and his ability, he's led by the Spirit to go back there. Did you catch that? He's led by the Spirit to go there. So he goes back home. Now, in your mind, catch this. Mary was likely there. Joseph was likely not. He was likely gone, deceased by this time, okay? Maybe some of his brothers and sisters were there. We believe he had uh, half brothers and sisters, including James and Jude and other people who wrote in the New Testament. So they may have been there. Who knows? All right? He goes back home. Now look at verse 16. I want us to read it again just to be sure we catch it. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Now, if you want to put a reference uh, that I didn't put here, uh, if you want to put the reference of 1 Corinthians 16, 2, by 1 Corinthians 16, there's just one little, and it's got to, when you read it, you're going to think, what is he up to? That, what is, why did Steve put that reference there? It's because it's, it's saying, bring your offering on Sunday when you come to church. So sometime between this, and after, after the resurrection and sometime before 1 Corinthians 16, which was pretty early uh, in the first century, Christians began to worship on Sunday. If they were Jewish, they also worshipped on Saturday. But at some point, so I think it's fair to, um, to make, make a connection between the Jewish Sabbath and, and the Christian Lord's Day on Sunday. Okay, so notice the text here in verse 16 says. Okay, and I ask the question: What was his pattern? It says, "As was his custom." What was his pattern? He went to it, so you say he went to church on Sunday. He he didn't go to church on Sunday, but he went to sabbath. He went to synagogue on Sabbath. Okay, kind of a the equivalent. That was his custom. Uh, As a rabbi, uh, he would be uh, asked to read and maybe to teach, okay? Now, um, I didn't run much of this by my wife because I was afraid she would tell me not to say it, okay? So, what did I say to you this morning? I said... Watch out! This morning, I haven't taught for a month. I'm going to bring the heat today. Okay, so um, I need somebody to read Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. Okay, and then I'm going to I'm going to try to comment here without getting myself in an incredible amount of trouble. His pattern, his custom, was to be in the synagogue every weekend. Okay. He was there always on the Sabbath. All right? Catch it? Okay. Somebody got Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25? And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we live out Hebrews 10 24 and 25 in a COVID world? I don't pretend to have the answer. I I really don't. I've talked to all kinds of people about this. I don't pretend to have the answer. But let me give you some statistics. This is the stuff I didn't run by Rhonda. This is the Barnett Group is beginning to research, the Pew Research Group is beginning to research, okay, what are people doing and what are they gonna do when this is all over? Now, did you hear what I just said? When this is all over, I gotta continue to say that. Mark, you work at OU Medical Center, I'm gonna tell you, one of these days this is gonna all be over. I may wear a mask the rest of my life, but one of these days this is gonna be over, okay? I may never get on an airplane again without putting a mask on. That probably would just be smart. Do you realize? I shocked my nurse wife this week. Do you realize there's been literally no influenza this year? It's like COVID ate up the influenza. No, that's not exactly what happened. What happened is you're washing your hands a lot and wearing a mask. Isn't that interesting? You look at the statistics for influenza in the U.S. this year, and it's nearly nil. And I took that stupid shot for nothing. Okay, No, never mind. My shoulder is still sore. I'm a little miffed about that, but okay. Uh, so, uh, by the way, I got my first COVID shot at, at a little Methodist church in Chickasha, and it was like a machine. I mean, I've never seen anything more organized in my life. I was so encouraged by that. I'm thinking, what a country we live in. I just love it. So so here's the deal. So Barner Research Group is saying this. Um... um of us, if we're only attending online, 50% of us are attending our own church online. About 34% of us are doing what might be called digital church hopping. Now, I didn't make that up. That was in the research, okay? They called it, they are digitally church hopping. 34%, so a third, a, a full third of people who previously went to church are now church hopping during COVID. I think that's interesting, okay? I'm gonna guess I'm looking for the best show. You know, it's like, okay, if this one isn't that cool. I'm gonna go to that one. Hopefully not, but a full third of Christians who were going to church before COVID are digitally church hopping. You probably have. Uh, I have done some, just I'm trying to keep up with what's going on in Michigan, okay? One third Thirty-two percent say they've done neither, haven't come live, haven't dialed up my church, and haven't dialed up somebody else's church either. Thirty-two percent. That's nearly a third. Uh, Does that, if I had hair, it would be standing up? It should. Okay. You know, I get it. I, I talked to some people and said, have you been joining us? No, I don't do the online thing. I, I get that. But they don't feel comfortable coming either. And this is, by the way, all of these statistics are from, and I'm not sure what to think about this term, all these statistics are uh, from the, the people polled or what are known as practicing Christians. Practicing Christians. have literally dropped out. Now, there is hope that that group will come back when it's safe to come back. I sure hope so. Uh, The church asked me early on, would you go online because we've got to have some options for Sunday school. I did that from my kitchen. You remember that for a while? Did it from my kitchen. Uh, and then we, then they said to me, you know, we want to try to put our toe in the water to come back in the building. And so I was the guinea pig, you know, one of the guinea pigs again. And, and here we were and we'd have a few here and, and yet a few online. And I get that. What I want to tell you is one of these days, this is all going to be over. But I also want to say, I want to encourage you, whether you're in the room or online, what are you going to do when this is all over? Jesus pattern was meeting with people of faith on Saturday when, the people, when people of faith met at the synagogue. Paul's pattern, I put Acts uh, uh, 17 uh, as a reference in there. Paul's pattern is he was in the synagogue reasoning with people, sharing his faith. What's your pattern? Um... I, I think it's just interesting. And what am I going to do about that? So, moving on, verse 17 is what I would call a holy setup. It was just a setup. I, I work with a uh, a very faithful person. Um, uh, if, if he were in the room, his name is Dr. Cepeda, if he were in the room, he could lead that chair to faith in Christ. He just, or disciple. He'd be discipling the chair or leading it to Christ. He, he, I, he's just amazing. He, I can't tell you how many people who led to Christ on an airplane somewhere. He's he's a Mexican national who who runs our international. Uh, he's kind of the the uh, director of, of um uh, uh International Studies Program. And. Um, uh, he talks all the time about divine appointments. This was a divine appointment. By the way, for people of faith, they kind of have more of those divine appointments than those, those who don't have them because they're looking for them all the time. You know, I, I, I can honestly say that in the last month, I've had a few of these and it was like, hmm, I think that's what Dr. Spade is talking about. You know, I'd ask a question of a person who's serving me at a restaurant or, or maybe a person at the bank or, you know, whatever, and get into a, a good conversation. But, Okay, so this was a setup. What happens in verse 17 that would make me call that a setup? He, he, he's there. A rabbi would be asked to read. But he's handed Isaiah, Isaiah's scroll, which, by the way, from nearly the beginning to nearly the ending, certainly in chapter 53, talks about him. Certainly 61, which is where he's going to turn to, which might have been the prescribed reading for the day. If that was the case, then it really was a setup. I, I just find this incredible. So, so they have found uh, ancient scrolls of the prophet Isaiah. They're about 24 feet long. Okay? Ten inches wide, about 24 feet long. Isn't that interesting? So he hands it to him opened, I think. And it's at least somewhere. uh, uh, Some commentators believe he also read from 58. But all of it right in through there is about him. And so he goes to 61 and he reads verse 1 and 2 from Isaiah 61. Uh, This is just a setup. Don't you think? Brad? Were the scrolls written? backwards the same way modern Hebrew is? I assume so, yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm not a technical expert on that, but I assume so, yes. Okay, so, and by the way, uh, what you got to catch here, uh, according to some pretty uh, smart people, Jesus didn't stand up and say, "Ah, I'll read. None of that's going on. He wouldn't have pressed himself into this. He was recognized, he had, like I said, he had a little bit of a reputation. He was recognized for uh, um, being a rabbi. And so what would you like to read? There were probably five readings for the day. He was the fifth likely. And after the fifth, there was a talk or a homily or somebody would teach and then they'd probably ask questions. So he was in that critical, kind of pivotal moment And it was an absolute divine setup that he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads verse 1 and 2. Cindy, can I prevail on you to read to go to verse 18 and read 18 down through 22? This is from the New NIV. Okay. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was anointed. Now I put a reference there to 1 Samuel 16. Remember when David was anointed? How was he anointed as king? You remember that? He brought in from the field. Yeah. That one of eight brought in from the fields. the, the runt of the litter, the, the, the last one. Uh, it's inter- Jesse's an interesting story too, isn't he? His daddy. But he calls him in from the field. Samuel says, get my horn. And he's not going to play a tune. He's got oil in it. Right. And he literally pours it over the kid's head. <laughs> to where, it, I mean, literally the the image there is it would run down on his head on to his beard, dripping off his chin. And that was the idea of the anointing of a person for service. And David would talk the rest of his life about I have been anointed. He was anointed as king. Jesus had an anointing on him as well. Different kind of anointing. As king, as prophet, as priest as well. He was anointed. It was clear when he spoke And he is proclaiming some things here in the next couple of verses out of his understanding and uh, uh, recognition of himself in Isaiah 61. And all of these are gonna have both, and here's what to put in your blank, they're both gonna have both a physical and a spiritual meaning. There'll be a healing that's being promised that is both physical and spiritual. All right? So let, let's let's look back at it a, little, a minute here and, and make sure we understand that. So in my Bible, these words are in red, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me, there we go, to preach the gospel to the poor. Okay? Isn't there a way in which there's a spiritual poverty as well as a... Uh, Physical poverty, okay. Um, He sent me to proclaim release to the captives. So that's not just talking about people who are enslaved, literally. It is talking about um, those who are, um, Marty's been talking about it in his current series. Those who are enslaved to something, okay? Um, Kind of a spiritual slavery. Recovery of sight to the blind. Um, You know, Joe South sang it back in the 60s. There's none so blind as he who will not see. There's a spiritual blindness as well as a physical blindness, okay, to set free those who are oppressed, there again is talking about slavery and oppression, and to reclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So um, uh, there's this physical and spiritual um, healing that's coming, and verse 19 is probably a fairly oblique reference no, maybe not oblique reference to Leviticus 25 to the year of Jubilee so the idea in Jewish life and Jewish law is uh, for, uh, after seven years alright after seven years every seven years they would rest the land after seven sevens of years slaves are set free Debts were canceled. So every 50th year, slaves were set free. Debts were canceled. Can you imagine the attitude in the nation on that year? It was sheer joy. Cindy? Something else that happens then is when people were debt sometimes had to sell their lands or you know, but the idea was that in the Jubilee year Got it back inheritance went back. Yeah. To that, that's such a, a, a good element of this because the, my point is, it was just a time of joy. So he's proclaiming, the year of jubilee is here. The year of joy is here. And in verse 20, it was a very dramatic moment. This was what I would call... Um, A pin drop moment. He rolls the scroll back up. Brad, whether it was written backwards or forwards, he rolled it back up, all 24 feet of it or whatever. Handed it back to the steward, to to the uh, person who was in charge of that particular Nazareth synagogue. It's like everybody's waiting to hear what he's gonna say next. You know what I mean by a pin drop moment? I had a conversation with a person lately who uh, walked into my office and obviously looked like the cat that ate the canary. You know, that that deal's like, what? And they'd set an appointment with me under false pretenses and just Mm -hmm. grinning, big as Dallas, and pulls her little mask down and says, "Uh, we're pregnant. This was a pregnant moment. Poignant. It was poignant too, but it was pregnant. You know what I mean? It was full of all kinds of expectation. Was verse 20. A dramatic moment. And the next words out of his mouth, verse 21. What do you think that means? Today, you've seen this fulfilled. What do you think it means? He's the one he was just reading about. Brad, what'd you say? He's claiming his sonship. He's claiming, you've been looking for him? He's here. Here He's here. And he literally, the implication is, here I am. Uh, So put this reference in in your outline. Look at it in a minute. I'm going to halfway quote it. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Today is the day of salvation. I read a story this week about... um, a fairly, a fairly old fella. Um, um, at 112 years old, Richard Overton was likely the oldest man in the U.S. when he died on December in December of 2018, a couple years back. He was a military veteran. Uh, Richard had served his country during World War II. On Veterans Day in 2013, uh, President Obama honored him in a ceremony in the White House. All that was well and good. But here's the best part of the story. Remember, he died at 112, okay? Mr. Overton accepted Christ and was baptized at 107. Here's what he said. It was about time. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a great story? It's about time. It's never too late. Today is the day of salvation. When I read the stuff in the paper and listen to stuff on the news, I want to say, okay, I get this. But today is a good day. Salvation is here. Jesus is available. And he's saying here, here we go. It's time. This was the good news, verse 22, of God's Grace. I put some references in there where um, it's going to talk in Luke 2 about him being full of grace. In Acts 20, uh, uh, Paul is going to talk about the gospel itself is full of grace. But it would be his last visit to the synagogue in Nazareth, as far as I know. If you look ahead at verse 28... All the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. First of all, they were astounded, and then that turned. They were filled with rage as they heard these things, and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. Now, you need to understand what they were trying to do is they didn't have permission, they didn't have um, the, the legal authority from Herod Antipas to kill him. So they were just rushing him. They were rushing him toward a cliff hoping that he'd fall and then they could say it was an accident. Just kind of crowding him. But they didn't know how strong he was because verse 30 says he just walked on through him, and walked on and went to Capernaum and went beyond there and changed history and changed your life. They weren't filled with grace, but he was. Now, let me say this. Estella, I don't want to oversell our conversation from earlier this week, but I think you said something to the effect of, I'm coming home. Mm-hmm. Didn't you? Kind of. Yeah. You may have used those words. At least I know a few weeks ago when you came, you said, I'm coming home. Um, you realize that- um, It's where the heart is, and if the heart is not involved, you're not home. And that's what it's gonna take for people to turn. Their hearts are gonna have to be turned. It doesn't make any difference where you worship as long as God and Jesus is in your heart. What I'm gonna say to you is this. The only way you can truly find your way home is by following him. You can follow Jesus there, you can look at the North Star and do all that if you want to, but he has become my North Star. And the only way you'll find yourself truly home, so I think it's consistent with what you just said, is by following him there. It's an adventure. That's an amazing adventure. Jesus says to them, he says to you, he's saying to you folks online that I'd love to see, why don't you just come home? Why don't you just come home? You know? I'm going to pray that you will deal with that a little bit in the coming days, of what Jesus means when he is asking you to come home. Um, Rhonda and I used to sing a little little gospel song from way back in the hymn book days called Softly and Tenderly, Calling O Sinner, Come Home. Couldn't be more direct, could it? I'm going to make, you just need to turn the page for next week and go to Luke 5. We're going to continue to look at his call and what his call is to you, but today he's calling you to come home. God bless you. Thanks for hanging out with me here today. I'll see you in church from a distance, hopefully. And uh, we'll see you next week.